We the bestest cast with the left twist. Fat, fairly well dressed. Put me on the guest list. The guest list. Uh, yeah, on the guest list. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another week of On the Guest List with Fox trying to get down White Sox, Dave, Kenny Carkey, and Dante. Johnny Congos in the building as usual. Johnny, how are you, buddy? Good, Colin. How are you doing? Good. That's very professional podcast etiquette to get as close to the mic as humanly possible and whisper. I like that. I know Kenny's been complaining about the audio quality, and I'm with him on that. We need to start sounding a little more like NPR. Yeah, yeah, all right. We'll break out my SM7 and start doing all the right things here soon, too. Because here's well, the thing. Like I said in the text thread, when I listen to other people's podcasts, like... Even Tim Dillon's super funny. I listen to it all the time, but like the shit quality, it makes it rough, makes it kind of rough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, then, all right. Then you get in your mixing bag and you start mixing everything. He's like, I don't. I'm talking. Let's throw more work at Kenny. I'm talking about your logo guy. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care if you cut this out or not. Are we allowed to do any stars or is it just the circle stars that we can't do? We can't do stars around the logo. Okay, so good. Okay. Like, if you look at Dave's new logo for the mid-show, like his new midday show, the, the Barstool logo is in the eye, but it's not around it. Call it. Keep this in, dude. Check out these things I'm about to fucking send you, dude. Did he send you some mock-ups? Dude. He sent me a bunch more, but I'll just show you those two. Is this the MTV logo you're going to send me? Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I kind of love that. Oh, those are sick. Anyways. Anyways. Rebranding coming, people. Ew, that kind of looks like the Def Jam logo. It's time. It's time. All right, I'm in on that. I like that a lot. Yeah, we have a we have a rebrand going. Should we just like talk about it a little bit? Sure, talk like, about it. Yeah. So we've been running two different verticals at the same time on the guest list and barstool backstage, to which we've been given the feedback of what you're doing is a clusterfuck. Figure it out. And uh, <laughs> so I think what we're gonna do. On the guest list shall live as a segment within Barstool Backstage. Why burn a perfectly good brand like Barstool and the name that comes along with it just for my own vanity of saying, okay, I made on the guest list. Like, fuck that. Yeah, yeah. let's take the easy way. Fuck's sake. That's what I'm saying. What are we doing? <laughs> I don't know, man. It is to me like there is something special about like the story behind on the guest list and like how it came together. But like, it's still the same thing. You know, what's just... Cool? cool to me when i go through some of the shit that we post in the comments and stuff there's a lot of like um what would you call it you know sports fans right that follow barstool that have come over towards us and you forget that these dumbasses also have musical taste and opinion <laughs> yes <laughs> i think this is this is the best way to do it is just alienate our audience off the bat these fucking idiots as yeah. kenny yeah, puts yeah, yeah, it yeah, yeah. all these fucking, <laughs> listen anybody who's commenting anything on anything is a fucking idiot i don't give a shit listen i'm just saying that there's a whole <laughs> group of people that we don't really hear from about musical opinions and stuff like that. It's just been kind of interesting to like see how many people like Nickelback. <laughs> yeah, that's been incredible. And by the way, I don't know if anybody's been checking up on stats like we do, but that Nickelback clip clip went viral on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've got like uh, a thousand new subscribers on YouTube, and like we did like eight hundred thousand views in the past twenty eight days. That's insane. Is, that's wild to me. Like I kept che- like I thought someone was messing with me, and then I noticed that. The one video was just getting passed around. And uh, it's great. The Jay Weinberg interview is doing well. Uh, I think, honestly, this interview today is one of my favorites that I wasn't – we weren't even a part of it. None of us who were here were a part of it. Dave and Dante went and interviewed Gavin Rossdale from Bush, 
which Dave Williams stepped up to the plate. He asked some really good questions and there's a really great clip in there of him getting a Billy Joel lyric wrong, where he was like trying to like make a point about, he said, what did he say? He said, Hey man, look, we're all pieces of shit. Uh, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than die with the saints. And I was like, that's not the lyric. (laughs) (laughs) So, but dude, Gavin Rossdale is cool. I got to tell you guys this. Honestly, I didn't know Gavin Rossdale was English. You're what? fucking kidding me, right? I swear to God, on my life, I had no idea it was English till the conversation started. That's come on, Colin. That's some ignorant shit. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. It actually made me like go back and re-listen to the early Bush records. His records are really good, man. Yeah. And, and this is an inside Foxtrot joke, but I'd say like five years ago, we were on tour and we were like we were just spitballing ideas and we were like, yo, we should start a rivalry with a really big band and they don't even know about it. And my bass player kind of said. Yeah, we should just pick Bush. So <laughs> we had a thing for an entire tour on. We're like, yeah, dude, fuck Bush. They don't even know what's going on, bro. They don't even know. It, there is no hostility there, but we just like started this thing. And I texted everybody and I was like, yeah, we got Bush on the podcast. And they were like, do we still hate Bush? And I was like, no, we never hated Bush. But yeah, just start start a little rivalry for no reason. They had no the idea. Thing. There is Bush for as great as they are is really 0% comedy. <laughs> so it'd be a, yeah, it's be serious a music as opposed to like, me and this fucking guy over over here. Yeah, morons. I, I was speaking to, so I don't know if you guys know this, our previous manager used to manage Bush also. And I was chatting with him, trying to get see if there was any inside scoop he could give me for the interview for Dante and Dave. And he said he has a super good sense of humor. You know, like, I think, like, I know what you're saying, Kenny, like the music comes across like, no laughing aloud. Like, right, but right. apparently as a person, he's got a real good sense of humor. That's good to hear. Uh, I like that. That's like when we were talking to Jay Weinberg for, from Slipknot. He goes, everybody's the funniest person you've ever met. Like, that's Yeah, it, it, dude, it's a really good interview. And Gavin Rossdale surprised me with his, like, kind of like, I don't know, loves America. Didn't I, Once I heard he was British, I didn't know he was going to love America like that. Loves America. He's a good dude, man. And it was a really good interview. And I give Dave and Dante all the credit because they did a great job. Also, shouts out to uh, Gavin Rossdale's dog. For making an appearance. The dog sat in the interview the entire time, which is fucking sick. Kenny, did you ever take your dogs on tour? Uh, I did a couple times. And what was great is we'd take them to like San Francisco and he'd pee on a tree there. And he's like, well, now he owns San Francisco. Yeah, it's his <laughs> part of San Francisco. I love that. He owns that too. There you go. Uh, but no, uh, talking about going back into music and we haven't had like a little inside baseball conversation in a while. Uh, but as far as like, I don't know. I was listening to the Danny, Danny Brown podcast today and you had JPEG mafia on and they were having this conversation about sampling and how hard it used to be to sample stuff on an NPC as opposed to having pro tools and things like that. And it made me think about this. And they asked the question in the podcast, is it just too easy to make music anymore? Is that why nothing sticks? Like I've been going back and listening to old David Bowie records this past week. And the fact that all this shit was done on the fly and analog and also all the guitars and pianos are out of tune makes it so cool and so raw and so memorable. Like, is that why we don't care about music anymore? Anything that comes out? No, I think I think that you're lumping two very different mindsets together from the ability to record and make the music versus the ability to write the music. And I think what sticks is usually the writing. Obviously, it could be cool productions and stuff. But, I mean, it's uh, uh, Trent Reznor, I think I read an article where he was like, somebody was like, you know, there's 70,000 songs uploaded a day. You know, what does that do for whatever? And he goes, well, if they were good, you'd hear about them. You know, it's like True. It's, a good song is going to stick no matter where it is. But I, I don't know. 
I mean, I think there's definitely a part of it where it's so easy that you can't have that much quantity without sacrificing quality. But sure. at the same time, it's not the tools themselves that are the problem. Like I came across this dude on TikTok that um, breaks down every sample within a track. So it'll take like a legendary, like a fire starter by Prodigy or whatever. Like that's kind of my jam and breaks down every fucking sample in that. So when you're a master at it, sampling is like the most creative tool, like any other thing. It's like playing an instrument. But if you're just like grabbing a loop grabbing like half-ass lyrics and throwing it over it then yeah like you know didn't, so it comes down to the artist doing it didn't prodigy sample rage against the machine were they the ones that did that yeah they did they had and it was like the weird thing about watching this dude's account is particularly with prodigy they were sampling stuff that had come out like a few months before sometimes so it wasn't like oh let's go dig through a a vinyl fit collection from the 70s they were sampling whatever took their ear i can't imagine the nightmare legally that was for like oh the lawyers to go clear all those samples on those records because they were big hit records. You know, it's like they're not going to fly under the radar. You know the story about Richard Ashcroft from from The Verve, right? Uh, uh, the Rolling Stones one. Yes. So yeah, yeah. Richard Ashcroft writes the song of his life, Bittersweet Symphony. And it's a huge hit, obviously. It's the song of his career. He's never, until recently, seen a dollar from it because that string sample is from an orchestral arrangement of 21st Century Breakdown by the Rolling Stones. And they sued I him. I think I could be wrong on this, but my understanding was it's not the string sample. That's what I thought initially. It's actually the melody. You know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da is, is from a Stones song. So it's like a publishing thing, not a sample thing. Because I initially thought, like they had taken those strings from the Rolling Stones. But yeah, I mean, you're right. They haven't seen a fucking penny up until whenever it was. Like, isn't legally there an arbitrary number that's like seven notes in a row verbatim for another melody? There's there's like a, there's a number. I, I, seven it's so like, gray. And like, luckily for artists these days, it's gray because every song sounds the fucking same. Like, that's true. You it, I mean, you're using five notes, most of these artists. Like, there's only, with five notes, there's a limited number of ways you can mix those up. People come to me every week being like, I want a song like this. When they say a song like this, they mean that song. Yeah. You know, and you're yeah. like, you know. I, dude, I, I'm, Johnny, you brought it up, but like there's so many accounts that will, like on Twitter especially, I think it's called Today's Sample or something like that. And they, they show you from the old song to the chop and exactly how it was chopped. And then the final product mm -hmm. sampling is one of my favorite things in the world. I think it's so cool to see people deconstruct songs. Do you have a specific sample that you think is the best sample of all time? Well, I'll tell you this and I have yet to be able to like actually find the, a picture of this, but my dad is credited as having the first sample in a commercial record. So people have been sampling like tape samples were in like thirties and forties or 50s, 60s at least. But his song that he had a hit with, He's Gonna Step On You Again, is credited as one of the first use, uses of a sample in a commercially successful record. You should, Dude, you should go listen to that record of his. It's I listen to it every now and then. I'm like, God, we just fucking stole everything from him. That's incredible. I didn't yeah. know that. Dude, yeah, your yeah, dad go is look it up. Man. The song's called He's Gonna Step On You Again. Um, it's a monster song. And it's like, if you want to see everywhere that Congo stole their shit from, so you can make fun of me for the yeah. next fucking 10 years, just go listen to our dad, dude. It's like a straight rip off of him. Dude, what? <laughs> I, I like, I, I, when I think samples, I think like, uh, shook ones part two by mob deep. Like that's an incredible sample. That's just one of the greatest beats of all time. And that's fucking, that's like the Ruben era of sampling, you know, yeah. taking, 
he wanted hip hop to be over live music and therein led to sampling old 70s funkadelic records and shit like sugar hill gang you know what i mean like yeah. dude i would say that that is part of the reason those 90s hip-hop records just groove so hard is because they use they like sampled the best of what was the most like in the pocket grooves ever in the 60s and 70s funk and like r&b music it's like you can't go wrong if that's, that's your what basis. makes that's what makes hip-hop so beautiful is it's really an amalgamation of so many different american art forms like you know what i mean like you're taking jazz mm -hmm. samples and putting the hottest shit on earth on top of it like that's where I think that's why so many people gravitate towards that because like they don't even realize how much they enjoy jazz and things like that. And they get, that's how I got into soul and things like that because Kanye yeah. samples from college dropout introduced me to people like Otis Redding and going back and digging through like there's you know what's cool funny is hearing things. Like when you say like Otis Redding, I think about like, um, What's that song? Hey, little thing, let me light your cat. I don't know what the name of the yeah. song is. But it's like, a hard to handle by the Black Crows. I mean, I was fucking 11 when the Black Crows did it, right? Yeah. And then I was 30 when I heard Otis's version for the first time. And you're like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, but that's what's funny, though. I hate covers, but I love sampling. Like, I've never enjoyed covers as much those as the original two, songs. Yeah, those, are, those are two different things. Dude, one of my favorite samples is uh, Biggie Small's Juicy. Oh yeah. oh yeah, he bought that too. He yeah. didn't want to do that. He thought it was too soft. It was so good. It was all the right moves. It is. It's like really what makes me love hip hop is the idea of sampling. But like going back to like the original conversation here about like kind of like why does the older stuff stick? And I can't under like is it nostalgia or is it just the fact that there's something raw about it? Like I've never even been that big of a David Bowie guy, but the last couple of weeks I've just been diving in and being like. Records that I've lived with for my entire life, I'm going back now and searching through them and finding things that are like really inspiring to me. I don't know if you ever do that where you'll go back and listen to something and be like, this is why this is great. Has there I been mean, a I, song that's been as like worldwide smashed through the roof, like Happy by Pharrell or fucking, you know, the Bruno Mars songs? I wonder, I'm wondering if like people used to listen to the radio, terrestrial radio, that's stopping now and people are more curating their own playlists. When you couldn't get away from songs, right? Whether right. they were in the grocery store, if it was in the car, in the radio, in movies, whatever it was. But now everything's so personally curated. I wonder if that's starting to remove some of the element of those like songs like Happy. Just the ones. The last, the last year I can remember of there being like that smash song that you couldn't get away from was 2013. The exact year you're talking about. I'm thinking it's like when Blurred Lines and Get Lucky were just. Right. everywhere i don't know dude a part of it is like in 2013 how much were you on your phone on like facebook instagram tiktok all that shit versus now like i know you were on it but the no one's there's no like singular source of content anymore everyone's sure. all over the place but I don't, I don't know if that's actually changed though dude like there were certain songs you couldn't get like uh Kodak Black, like there's just songs you can't get away from even digitally, you know what I mean? So it's a new exactly. form that a hit takes on. As as to why like David Bowie's better than, I don't know, we, we're looking back at the past and seeing the people that have lasted time. So you're getting the best of the best. There was shit back then also. But I think another part of it is the performances were better because they weren't doing what we're doing and trying to put out fucking 30 songs a year. They played their instruments slash sang live a lot more they weren't chopping a vocal into five million parts which is fine like i'm all for chopping a vocal up like we do it all the time but like are you chopping it up because you just sang it shit or are you chopping it up to create some new 
sonic effect. Like if it's just because you sang it shit, then I think that has a, a downside to it. I'm, I'm not, I'm, like I've done that. I'm not saying I'm free of that. Well, you still oh, have to take six months to write a record, write and record a record or, or a year, yeah. two years or three years. And like you say, the 30 songs a year, like people are like, I'm going to put out two songs this month. And I don't know if, I, I mean, I don't know if that's a direct correlation to people not spending enough time, but I'm just wondering if you, you know, the, maybe maybe what I'm finding here is that like I maybe you gloss over things when you first hear stuff when you're a kid and you're like, oh, it's a good song. But you don't like really dive into it like mentally, hmm. like as an artist, I'm going back now and diving into stuff like Bowie and being like, God, oh, that's a really cool choice. Like Colin, things. wait till you smoke weed and listen to Bob <laughs> Marley for the first time. You just can be like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look, I don't know, maybe it'll unlock something. But even like the doors, like I, I heard Break On Through the other day, just randomly on a playlist. And I was like, I used to play Tony Hawk's Underground 2. And Break On Through was like the song that was played basically on every level. And I would like never realize what made it so cool and so raw. And now I'm going back and I'm like, these guitar tones are gnarly. This yeah. is sick. Like I'm actually going back with more of like a, uh, the way I listen to music now, I, I listen with such more of like a, uh, a discerning ear. And now I'm going back to songs that are universally beloved, but being like, damn, that's why. Like, well, I just here, got here's a theory as to why this, I think partially why this happens. If you're going back and something has stood the test of time, you're not necessarily looking at it with the same like instantaneous nostalgia that you listen to it when you're a teenager. Like there's a lot of shit I listened to when I was a teenager that I liked because like that was what they were playing at parties. And like, you wanted to impress girls because you like, you know, like there's a, there's a fashion element to music. Like if you remove that and you're kind of consuming stuff from the past, then often you can listen to it a little more like purely and hear the music without the fashion aspect, you know? Yeah. I, 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 I agree with that, but I, I think more, more of it is just like, I don't understand why I'm doing this right now. Like why I'm diving deep into like things that I already know and searching for more. That's you're growing right. up, Colin. Every time we talk about what the fuck we've been listening to, all my shit's always like songs I forgot that I fell in love with, which I've been finding so many songs. I want to call it organically because it's like it's on a TV show or a game or mm -hmm. in the grocery store where I'm like, oh, yeah, bad, blah, 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 blah. And that's how my my new playlists are all just like Peter Gabriel and Madonna and like <laughs> Like stuff that we always love, dude. A good music supervisor is an underrated job if they do it right, and they're not just like doing the work of the labels. There was a guy, there was a show on uh, Showtime about like comedy, like the Comedy Store that got canceled. That Jim Carrey produced it, but their music super supervisor and I forget his name. Like every week, there were like four songs. I was like, "Holy shit! How have I not heard this before? This is the greatest thing I've ever heard." Yeah, even yeah. shows like Silicon Valley had yep. big yeah. outro I mean, intro music and it's always like it would be like bro, run, new run the jewel song and you're like huh but don't Mike laugh. Judge Good. dude Mike Judge I think is yeah. such a like hip hop head and he's like so passionate I mean go look back at Office Space yeah. all that shit like perfectly uh, scored or like look at like, uh, look at like Guardians of the Galaxy too yes How incredible those song choices are well I mean what is the like the best soundtrack of all time I know we've had this argument before but like Dude, remember the Titans using the the Motown soundtrack? Like that always gets me. That's why I love that movie. You brought up Guardians of the Galaxy. I even think about shows. Don't laugh at me, like Entourage, where I learned like they they put uh, going to California as the finale song, or like an entire season they collaborated with Kings of Leon and and Aha Shake Heartbreak, which is a great record, scored the entire season. Like it's cool to find things through shows. 
for me, it's Poetic Justice. Okay. The, the movie with Janet Tupac. Jackson in it. Yeah. Because I, like, I was so into hip hop at that time and it was kind of hard to get in South Africa. Like there wasn't like CD stores were severely limited in what you could get, but they would get like a big soundtrack. So I was finding a lot of hip hop through that. Like I came across Wu-Tang Clan from like Tales, Tales from the Hood soundtrack with like some corny horror movie that they had a track on. I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. And then got super into Wu-Tang because of that. It's like belly. I got two way off the cuff ones for you. Um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Great there, soundtrack. There was a band he played in a band in the movie called Sex Bob Omb, which was fucking yep. incredible. And the band was awesome. On the same note, the movie Dope. I don't know if you guys saw the movie Dope. I liked it. Also, I don't know if I saw Pharrell, it. the kids in the movie play in a band called Oreo, which is incredible. And the band itself is incredible. And Pharrell wrote all those songs. There's some hidden gems. You ever seen Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist? Yeah, another great one. Yeah. Well, there's a band in the beginning of that movie named Bishop Allen. And they had they had like the theme song to the movie. They were a real band. The way they broke was by getting in this movie as like a side character in the movie. I downloaded the entire album. I love Bishop Allen, and I just remember from Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Azed it's like confused a, was the first one I fell in love with. What was it? Azed and confused. Oh, I mean that's that's classic stuff. I mean, I, that's like when I was a kid seeing Belly, which I never should have seen because yeah. Belly's a crazy movie, but great soundtrack. Uh, like. I think it's like an underutilized tool as musicians to try and like everybody's like radio playlist, dude. I things that I see on movies and TV stick with me way more than anything. It's like getting those syncs. Oh yeah, that, for sure. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, that was good conversation. Uh, is there anything musically that we need to talk about? Like uh, anything crazy or going on? Like it's pretty dead I, time right now. I don't know. It- I don't know anything about music that's going on right now, Colin. I usually rely on you to tell me something, and then I look it up while you're talking. Yeah, I mean, we're in that dead period, be- like between the Grammys and like festival season starting, where there's not that much happening at the current moment. Uh, our friend K Play is going back out on tour with Grandson, which I'm excited about. I'm glad to she- see My that. Like Wayne's going to open that tour for like, all that like, ten shows or something like that. That's a cool tour. I want to see Alt J at the Wiltern. Uh, play an awesome wave in its entirety for the 10th anniversary in a couple weeks. Really? When's that? The 20th, March 20th. Frasco's playing the Troubadour on like the 25th. I'm going to go try to see. What, are you going to egg him? He's going to walk in with a carton of eggs? I'm going to crowd surf with a fucking piano on my face. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. Dude, speaking of Alt-J, have you seen that video, How to Write an Alt-J Song? Yes, it's incredible. I don't know. You, you must have seen that, was Kenny. It by them or was it by somebody else? No, no, no. Here. Yeah, pull it it's, up. It, it's this girl. She did like how to write a Tyler the Creator song and like doing all this no, stuff. No, yeah, this, you, was a, this is all. This is like from years ago. Let me see if you can. Manufacturing and labor oh, fucking ad. Hell yeah. A little ad, baby. Let's go. <laughs> this is how Alt J makes music. Watch. <laughs> But put it in my butt, put, put it in my put it up, put it in my butt, put it in my butt, put it up, put it in my butt, put it up, put it put it up, put it up, put it put it put it up now. But put it in my butt, put it in my put it up, put it in my butt, put it up, put it in my butt, put it up, put it put it up, put it up, put it put it up, put it up, put it put it in my butt, put it up, put it up, put it put it Put it up, put it in my butt, put it up, 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 put it up,
Anyway, you get the fucking idea. This had like 13 million views, that video of just like they got super high, thought that was funny, and then to have a video blow up like that's crazy. Incredible. God, it's I pretty love... accurate. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, it's great. It's fucking amazing. What they a band, though, for, dude. Like for being – when you think of like kind of music like that and big shows, I think Tame Impala, who has a great production, but – it's weird that I never assumed Alt J would have such incredible like show productions. The stuff that yeah, they do, like the last tour, they were all in a big glass cube on stage, and the lasers going through them. You're like, so sick. There's something about me though when I go to see a show and it's just a band, like, and it's not like a huge production. Like yeah. it's just a band with a little bit of a setting, but it's like I always think of like uh, the last waltz, the way that was set in that theater with mm. like these like low yellow lights, and it's just musicians doing it like i've never put that much stock into going to see like when muse has like giant robots and shit on stage i never like that doesn't do anything for me i'm like just play your goddamn instruments and shut the fuck up i think it depends on the band i'm kind of with you if you're going to see like a band band just like have some decent lights that add to the music but that's about it but there's other bands where it is about the theatrics you know yes and, and muse is one of those bands where it's like i i kind of view them more as like go see a theatrical production and go listen to the music there's know? a lot of bands though that i i are synon synonymous for me with good production like phoenix yes mm. oh so they're all like the last one they did they had like a digital floor and then a giant mirror over them at an angle so the whole crowd could see the band from up top with the floor doing different things like there's some really cool shit but i'm with you like one of my favorite small productions is this band refuse this punk rock band from sweden I've only I've seen them a hundred thousand times and they only ever use white lights on the ground. That's it. I like that. That's kind of cool. No color, no nothing. White lights that flash. It's unbelievable. Dude, as a touring band, we learned the lesson the wrong way, which was when we were out with Kings of Leon. They had amazing production that was very subtle but big. You know, like it didn't interfere with their music, which is kind of just straight ahead dudes playing their uh, instruments. But their production was so cool. Our next headline tour, we're like, we're going to do something like that on our scale. Took out fucking two buses, a semi-truck with lights and that. And it was awesome. It looked awesome. What was not so awesome was the balance statement at the end of that tour where we fucking lost money. Yeah. Even though we that was like we sold well on that tour. It was like, because we, we had this idea like, we'll do this. People see it. Then next we move up to big theaters. The next we move up to amphitheaters. And when that doesn't happen and you fucking spent that much on a truck, you're like, fuck it. We should have just like brought a little, like a, a turning ball, like a mirror ball and just yeah, called it a day. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go into our conversation with Gavin Rossdale. Uh, we'll come out and do on the list off the list real quick, but should have had a mirror ball, dude. Uh, <laughs> All right. This is uh, our conversation with Gavin Rossdale from Bush. What's up, everybody? Dante here with White Sox Dave and rock icon legend. Is it is it an insult to call you a legend at this point? Do you feel old that, if I say that? That'd be an insult. That's the greatest intro ever. Absolute <laughs> rock you, legend. You Gav, Gavin Rossdale, Bush lead singer uh, here at Salt Shed in Chicago, which you know this place is like brand new, right? I brand heard it's like new. the third show, like the third show. Yeah. It's awesome. What do you I think of that. it? So far, so good. I, I you know, um, we just played, uh, where is it, um, in New York, and Hammerstein Ballroom, and these these legendary places, and it's really fun. 
sort of like shitholes backstage. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You can't, you're tall, you can't stand up, you hit your head everywhere. It's anyway, they just, they don't, they don't, they just, they just kind of do it in a certain way. Here, so it's nice because they kind of set it up a little bit sweeter, you know? That's Chicago versus New York. Dave, I, Dave loves New that York. New York City is the worst place on planet. <laughs> just like turn it into a parking lot as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> no, you uh, <laughs> like Chicago? This isn't your first I time I love it. Here. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've, I've got good friends that go way back here. So whenever you travel and there's places that you know people, that makes a big difference. So we got Steve Albini who I've made records with many years ago, stayed friends with him, hoping he's coming tonight. He's a king of the underground music worldwide, and he lives in Chicago. And uh, Grant Ashatz, who's a chef who lives here, is a friend of mine. So I, I kind of got the music and the food. That's the kind of, that's my, that's, that's my, that's we that's do my a life. We a lot of that. I that's mean, my life. Grant is arguably the biggest, <laughs> best chef in the world. Arguably, yeah. arguably, absolutely. I, I, I would argue for it. Did you hit Alinea? I, we did, last time I was here, my kid, I took my kid there for his birthday. They came out on tour with us, and the highlight was not the shows, but going to dinner at Alinea. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The dessert on the table, and they still talk about that meal, you know, so uh, we're, we're very lucky to know him. That's awesome. I was supposed to go to Alinea last night, actually. I canceled last minute. I can't oh. picture you. I can't picture me at Alinea either. I'm a scumbag. Um, when you're in we're all scumbags. Yeah, you know we're all scumbags I mean? at heart. Everybody yeah, is. It's just I don't try to hide it. Other people do. I just wear it on my sleeve. I, I sing about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The whole genre is about it. I don't sing about being a scumbag, but, you um, know. <clears throat> being a scumbag, I, it's, I, like Billy Joel says, I'd rather, rather laugh at the sinners than die with the saints, right? Yeah, 100%. So um, you're in Chicago at Soul Shed. already broke that down. Um, who's your favorite musician from Chicago? You could go all the way back to early blues, all the way up through current. We don't say his name anymore, but if you want to, we, you know, we can say his name. Um, Chief Keef. Chief Keef, there you go. <laughs> so you're thinking. That was not going to... I was not, very impressed that you know Chief Keef. <laughs> yeah, I love that guy. Yeah. I'm very... There that's unbelievable. <laughs> there you go. Life is full of surprises. That's great. Um... Talk about the show tonight. You guys are here for Q Q101. Yeah, well, we, we go back with Q101, and uh, I was here a little while ago, went in to visit the uh, program director, Troy Hansen, and um, he said, we're opening up this venue. We want you to be part of this first night we're doing. You want to do that? So I, what the, one of my favorite things about life is how you have these abstract conversations with people, and then... <laughs> Bang, you're in it. So here we are now. It's sold out. Uh, third night of this place. Um, at any, you know, uh, any show. It's not even finished. It's awesome. Yeah, as long as there's doors and roofs on and like good sound, it's going to be great. Yeah. It's, what I didn't they finish? What's left? I have no idea. But it, I mean, I know they just started. Was it, it was last weekend, I think. They had yeah. A, yeah um, an EDM band here. But once it's done, like, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna live here. I'm gonna just make this my my little permanent room right here. You should do that. I got everything, everything you need up here. So, I gotta ask. I mean, this is this is what thirty years of touring for you now. <laughs> Something like that. How, like, how do you still look as good as you do? Uh, Tour life yeah. is not yeah. an easy life. Yeah, it's not an easy life. Uh, I'm kind of beaten up. 
I, I feel like a pirate. I've sort of bust, I've jumped and hurt one. I was feeling great. Then you bust a knee a little bit, doing something. Then this leg, got, you know, um, you're always playing hurt. It's just like sport. It's like anyone in sports, you just play hurt. And uh, if it's not the voice, I got to be on voice rest. Um, but it's crazy because you spend all the days thinking, what the fuck am I doing in my life? And then every night going, this is what I love to do. This is yeah. so great. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's only because I have kids that I go home, you know, because I have so many kids. So they're waiting for me to go home. And uh, I have my one kid turning nine this weekend. So I'm having a big dinner Friday night, magician. And then Sunday, all of his, the whole year from his school's coming. Magician? Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, it's the best. We've got a really great guy, Johnny Wu. And he just, he's wild. It just blows your mind. You know, all that kind of like crazy stuff with numbers. He does all these like numerical things. And then he shows, shows you a picture of it his, that he took of that number before he came to the house and crazy stuff. He blow your mind. So... <clears throat> I'm finishing strong and then going home strong and that's it. It's you home know? out in LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you like yeah. it out there? I, I like it. I mean, I was going to say to your point, it's like I love having a really rich life where I've got so many things going on and it's, it's such a gift, you know what I mean? That, that oh, you got a tour and you can't really complain about that because it's amazing and people every night screaming at you and really happy about it. And uh, then I get to go home where I have like healthy kids that are happy and living their life and just want me to get home so they can be independent and live. They split between me and their mom. So when they're with me, they, you know, they're so, it's like a guy's, guy's house. So it's, it's yeah, kind of yeah. a little bit more chill. And, um, that's a beautiful thing, you know. I'm, I'm, I, I, I've got so much to be grateful for, so that's it. I, I love whenever we do these interviews, it doesn't matter if it's musician, athlete, whoever, kind of like getting them on the human level. Because, like, I'm 34 now, so I, I was six or seven when 16 Stone came out. It was obviously a massive. I, I actually, let, let me start there real quick. 16 Stone, first album, correct? How did you have to follow that up? Because that's like pinnacle of success you know it's like holy shit how do I, we beat this i followed it up with, with recording with steve albini from chicago mm -hmm. and, and, and abbey road right at abbey yep. road and the record was number one so it was okay but yeah i always thought that my career would have gone better if i just repeated that record over and over <laughs> we'd be at the enormous dome now we'd be opening the salt shed to be at the salt stadium you know <laughs> but we just i just went on this path and life is just like that you just follow what where your heart goes and just the fact that i'm still doing it now and you know, it's had number one show. record, sold out shows. Mm -hmm. It's pretty crazy. So, uh, 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 you know, it's not um, it's not the biggest career ever, but it's a really great, it's like it got this kind of steady, steady power to it that goes, kind of goes undetected, like almost like some kind of wild submarine. Are you, well, go ahead. I mean, at this point, how many times platinum is that album? I remember in the 90s, it was like- It was quint, the album. It was like yeah. quintri quintiple yeah. platinum. And that was 20-something years ago. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I hope, I hope it just kept on going. Like, the, you know, whatever, I don't know. What does it matter now? What matters is that we're sold out. Yep. The new stuff is great. You know, we're not making new records where people are like, that's great, but just could you play the old stuff? People are digging, playing the new stuff as well. So we're kind of doing everything wrong. Cause you're not really meant to do that. You're meant to just play all the old stuff and a couple of new, so we're mixing it up and there's lots of young people at the shows, multi-generational. We're having a good time. How have you seen your guys' sound evolve over 
the last. Well, um, I think that you know because um, with studios, the way that studios are, you can get really good in studios yeah. now. Like I'm an idiot in the studio, but I can engineer myself. I can make the track sound massive. I can make it sound there's like six of me. I can be a keyboard player. I can be a drummer. I can put this shit together, and then then uh, and so I progress the songs I present way further. But then also my band are also really good at that stuff as well. So we're all kind of more articulate in the studio. It used to be before a bit of an acoustic, a bit of a drum beat, and like just, mm -hmm. I don't know, slap it together, rehearse it. Just now it's a bit more sort of, um, we're like all like producers. We just make music in a room and it's it works, you know? So What have you guys seen in terms of the, the scene and the trends now here in America versus back home in, in England? Well, I mean, I just seen um, right now hip hop ruling the world and pop music ruling the world and, uh, and rock music has this kind of weird space where it's kind of, no one knows if it's alive, dead or alive, but yet we have this massive touring world and massive numbers. I mean, our numbers are still the hundreds of millions of plays and played a half million people through the summer and last summer we did. So I don't know. I just know that uh, people are thirsty and they're hungry and they don't get satisfied enough. You just keep putting new stuff out, playing new songs, just keep doing it, posting. It's, it's crazy, people are like, people are thirsty for life. You see, you're you're being a little humble right now because two of our co our co-hosts, uh, one of them's Kenny Carkey. He was a founding member of AWOL Nation. Right. Um, another one's Johnny Congo. He he's in the band Congos. Um, who they Kenny's Diamond and and uh, Johnny. He's a, a platinum uh, recording artist. They because we we were kind of ping ponging questions back and forth to them. Like, hey, you guys are in you guys are in alt rock. You know what what should we ask them in? They both said that you're kind of spearheading the 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 drive to give guitar rock and roll music right now, and you've kind of taken that upon yourself over the years because it seems like you know it's not what's popular right now per se. Yeah, I mean, my my thing about that is is that I've all you know uh, to that point, I think that too many rock records sound um, kind of anonymous, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's when you hear the songs or the, the bands with the great singers and they're doing something with the music uh, that you start to notice them. So for me, I'm just always trying to create a hybrid. I really like really heavy music, super heavy, mm -hmm. riff stuff on this last few records, super heavy, and yet still trying to sing in a melodic way, like not singing on riffs whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so that, that hybrid, I, I, I really like that. And so I think anyone who's in whatever genre of music you make you kind of make it as good as you can so that you know people like that style so yeah i, I want to make rock records that pe turn people onto rock music you know and then you know they have the what's it bad omens is a great young band that are happening you know the deftones consistently yeah. great you know these there's certain rock bands are slipknot still still leading the way with unbelievable um songs we just interviewed jay weinberg last week their yeah. drummer we oh, haven't yeah. talked to him Right. It's funny because in some ways they don't get enough credit for being as, as amazing as they are because, because of the whole mask thing, because of the way they look. But at the same time, when you check them out and what they play and how they play, they're f devastatingly good. I, I mean, I've, they're like another level. It's just like, oh my I've God. Told story. What do you think of Machine Gun Kelly? 
And you can be honest. What do I think of him? I mean, I just think he's just finding his way and doing his thing. And, it, it, you know, success pisses a lot of people off. So True. it just, you know. Nailed it. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't think his music's any good. But I, I so right. last year at Ride Fest, I'm sure you guys have played Ride Fest, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, I was at Ride Fest, it's 2021 now, so a year and a half ago. Uh, Slipknot and Machine Gun Kelly were playing at the same time. This is when they got in their little right oh yeah, yeah and um I, I left machine gun kelly and i never thought i'd find my way at a slipknot concert it was one of the coolest experiences of my life it was my face was melting off Fuck it was no. fucking incredible yeah so yeah like give those guys a shot if you're listening and you're like ah, i would never go to do it once you'll yeah. like it. you'll have a time yeah. of your life there yeah they're amazing. I mean, you know, with him, it's just, it, you know, he went for that pop punk style. For mm-hmm. instance, not my, I like the uh, English or original punk as such, but it's just not my thing. But like, for instance, my kid, he's 16. He loves that. Probably loves it. Yeah. He loves it. it. Talks to him. So, you know, it's just how it goes in music. Mm-hmm. And I think not to turn this into a Machine Gun Kelly interview, but it's kind of turning people that wouldn't necessarily be into all I'd agree music. with that onto the genre and kind of opening that Just up. Just because of how he give like, his, his general vibe. I mean, that's honestly, like, I, I want to follow up Dave's question with this. I mean, you guys got me into alt music, right alt rock. Um, what's it like being told that you were a pioneer of an entire genre, pretty much? Um, well, I love that. But it, of course, it's like real compliment, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, just each and every musician is just trying to do the best they can on any given day. And uh, that's it. I mean, I, I, I think that for some reason I'm really drawn to that music that we make. And whenever I've tried to kind of gone away from it a little bit, or did a solo record with less guitars, it doesn't feel right. So I just love being where we're at. And I feel like we're better than ever, which is a really funny thing to think about because I really feel that. So, I mean, growing up, yeah, I was like 12 years old when you guys hit the states, and it was, or it was like you, Oasis, and then there was the whole grunge New scene British here. invasion, yeah. But you guys were so big. I mean, I I have to say this because she'll kill me if I don't. But my sister's bedroom was all posters and magazine cutouts of you, the entire <laughs> fucking room. And as much as I wanted to like hate on you, I was like guys fucking music's unbelievable like Vance so thank you so so good um and I remember reading Spin uh Rolling Stone everything I could to find out about you because you guys weren't American it was hard to you know figure out like where you guys came from backstory and all that and I know I still remember you were really influenced by the Pixies and the punk scene growing up what was that like being in that, in, are you from London? As a kid coming up, and how how much did that turn you on to music and make you wanna I think do it what, for a living? Yeah, I think that the punk thing just gave me an attitude. That gave us an attitude. We were just kids, but it was just seeing this like standing up to authority. I've always been allergic to authority. I don't like, the police make me nervous. At school, I was always in trouble. So I'm always like, I just got a guilty gene, <laughs> you know, I'm sure. Am I, did I make, am I, am I no, no, I'm, I'm clean. I'm good. You know, I don't know what I've done wrong, uh, even if I haven't done anything wrong. So <clears throat> I think with the punk music, 
is just spoke to kids, you know. And I think that's maybe what the pop punk thing is now that, you know, we're, we're talking about earlier. It just gives, um, um, if you feel independent in your heart and then you find a sort of a genre or, or a mindset that just strengthens that resolve, you know. It, you go, I like that, you know. They, it's all about this concept of standing up for yourself, being, you know, being, you can be, be cool, but just standing up for yourself. And um, that's what the punk thing was, I think. And also just being a little bit apart, you know, from the mainstream. Um, sometimes the mainstream is overrated, you know, and it's where the interesting, the nooks and crannies of culture is where you find the kind of best ideas. Hell yeah. Love that. Um, so you guys have been around around 30 years now. You guys have to have some stories that, you know, obviously you're not going to tell now because it's very public forum, but give me a story that's borderline, like you're on the tour bus, you know, starting up, or it could be a private jet. You guys are flying from one city to another. I, like, give me a story that nobody knows. Like where, you know, not necessarily bodies are buried, but something <laughs> hilarious that happened. Something like, oh, you guys left a guy at a gas station, like an almost famous... You got anything good for us? <laughs> we we uh, the um, the oil slick. We've been oil slicked. We've we've oil slicked a few a few people have missed the bus over the years. No one in the band, but you know maybe someone like you know the merch guys misbehaving. He goes to you know and then you. He goes to the bathroom, then you leave, and he's oil slick. But now we, uh, you just all the, all the stories. Yeah, they're they're hard to uh, hard to uncork. We just we we we've have a pretty good time, um, but no, we don't leave anyone behind, really. Yeah, no, no, nobody left behind. Um, no man left. You ever behind. get in a fight with a bandmate? Um, no, not no, not too not too bad. There's been a no. And that's the best thing about this band is that even if we get, it's real difficult, you know, being in close quarters with everyone for, for so long. months on end. Oh, I understand. It's no joke. Yeah. But uh, the, I think there are some bands that have a like a cynical side where they maybe don't get along so great. They just mm -hmm. tour to make money and stuff like that. And um, <clears throat> I think the best thing that I'm happiest about with us is that it's a real, it's a good vibe. There's a good friendship. You know, it's like. Even if we're going to annoy each other at times, like brothers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we're, we're you might get buddies. pissed off at each other, but yeah, two no. minutes later, you're fine. Everything is good. Everything is good. What is uh, the songwriting process like for you? How did you start to immerse yourself in that? How did you learn how to write songs? I mean, I was so desperate to not get a job that I just convinced myself that I should be a <laughs> singer. And that's what I should do. And I used to have a cassette recorder. Seriously? I met, a guy, I met a friend of mine, Sasha, I began my first bands with. And I would write these songs. I mean, they must have been terrible. I don't, know what the, I don't even know what they were. Sing stuff into it, write a load of bullshit words, sing them into a cassette recorder, be like, that's a song, put some chords to that. Um, and I just forced my way in, you know what I mean? It's just that sort of 10% talent, 90% motivation, and <laughs> just find my way. And, and that's all, you know, I, f I was in love with music before, for years before I ever thought I could make it. You know, I just enjoyed it. It was in my spirit. And then I uh, was uh, helped my sister's boyfriend carry his bass to punk band rehearsals and rehearsal rooms and was around that world, but I never thought I'd be in it. And then when I was really faced with a job, I was thinking, I've got to have a better thing to do than, i got mm -hmm. to figure this out. I can't be going to get a job right now. What if I could sing, you know? So 
I tried it out and here we are. When did you know you made it and how long between like, oh shit, I'm going to have to be a cube rat or something for the rest of my life? Was it from when you did make it? Like, oh, what was yes. the feeling like you like, you know, look out to 50,000 people at Wembley or however many it holds and you're like, holy shit, I sold this? Well, it was actually probably like about 600 people at CBGB's in New York City. Yeah. That was the first show we had in America where people had heard the record on the radio and that was the first time where I was like, oh fuck, this could work out. This is good. That's got awesome. Something is wild here. It was just a packed club, but it was just, never, we'd never had that. We'd right. never been on the radio and things like that. So that was where it was like, okay. And then it was just like a case of uh, one foot after the other because they were on tour for like two or three years, playing those clubs, playing the theaters, mm -hmm. then into arenas. And that was it, you know, and uh, yeah, that's how it went. So it's it going in there that I was like, okay, something is really up here, you know, because I didn't know much about it. You know, I'd made the record. Then I went back to work because the 16 Stone, the distribution got screwed up. We got dropped by the distribution company. So I went back to work and um, I was like, oh, well, I made a record, you know, that's cool. I'm not a complete loser. I, I, you know, I made a record. Fuck it, all you all, and um, and then uh, and then boom, um, we came to America because the wrong song got on the radio, and that was it. So America was like. Yeah, I am. I am. I am the American dream. I, like I literally it. am the no, American that is, dream. No, that is the truth. Yeah. I really am. I mean, that's why I'm really, you know, I've, I have American children. I'm a nationalized American, half American, half English, but. I am the American dream. I'm like one of the millions. So it's a very beautiful connection for me, for America. <laughs> it's like, you have a great no outlook joke. on stuff. It, it's really, um, I I wish I had your outlook on stuff. <laughs> I just hate everything. At the end of the tour. I Imagine what I'm like sucks. at the beginning. Imagine what I'm like at the beginning of a tour. <laughs> what song that you've wrote means the, is the most meaningful to you? Um... I just began writing um, a few new songs because there's, there's a, uh, um, uh, we're talking about greatest hits next year or later this year, and also we're gonna we've done a cut a song for an extra for the deluxe version. So to be honest, as a songwriter, uh, and I was in the studio, any time I write a song, especially the new ones, because there's always a slight fear of like, if you I write a great song, I'm like, oh fuck, that could be it. I don't know, maybe there's not gonna be another one come out. Mm -hmm. So every time I, I land a new one, every time I land a new one. Chewie's got a hairball. Oh, yeah. Chewie's got a little dry throat. Every time I land a new one, it feels fantastic. And I have a couple of new songs that I've written that are in a kind of heavy but weird that I was, so that's what makes me real happy to write those kind of songs. Awesome, so what, do you, what can we expect coming up in the next year? Uh, more super heavy songs yeah because people it. liking that there's another one coming up soon brand new um called all things must change no one has the first as a world world premiere re reveal um when does that uh, drop it's soon next few weeks okay i don't know exactly they don't tell me they say right one so <laughs> And um, that's coming out. And we just did a song with Amy from Evanescence. She came on stage with us at the Ryman in uh, Nashville. 
and it was such a beautiful performance. She sang a song from this new record, Thousand Years, that we're gonna release that as well. No way. Oh, oh wow. Incredible. Oh, she is like, she elevated this band like stratospherically. It sounds so good with her on it. I'm just like the Christmas tree and she's like the, the perfect decoration all over. I'm just holding it down and she's just like, it's definitely like about 50 times better with her. So oh, cool. I'm going to have to look this up on YouTube. Yes, yeah, I hope somebody got a recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, we, you guys are releasing that? we're going to release it. Um, yeah, same time. It'll be on the deluxe. It's so beautiful. It's like the best song we ever did because she's on it. Amazing. <laughs> awesome. Uh, don't want to take up too much more of your time, but something that <laughs> he, he got some water. He's good now. Um, something that our fans love hearing from, you know, legends such as yourself. Um, they're in the music business themselves, trying to make it, grinding, dealing with, you know, hearing a hundred no's. What is a piece of advice you would give them or you would have given yourself if you could have back in your late teens, early twenties? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that no is the most common used word when you're trying to do anything. You know, people stop you the whole time. I mean, I, I still get told no all the time, and you'd think that I would get more yeses than I would. Who tells think. Gavin Ross? Yeah, no, that's no, a, it's, it's, it's questionable. I mean, in my band. Oh, all right, <laughs> no, all right. okay. You know. <laughs> um, 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 Come here, Julie. <laughs> but the most, I, I think, the most important advice really is. Uh, Yeah, the most important advice for anyone who's doing it, it's a, it's a really weird one because you have to have this instinct of when you should listen to people and when you shouldn't. And that's the hardest, that's the hardest yeah. weather vane to get because, you know, you have to have an intrinsic self-belief. You're going to make it happen because that's how you manifest stuff. But at the same time, uh, you take on board you know, you cherry pick pieces because not everyone's going to be wrong and some criticism is, is right and constructive. But the main thing is, is just finding that belief to believe in yourself because what I always found was that I always thought people said no to me in my life. The people said no to me at the beginning because they thought I couldn't sing. And then weirdly in my life, my voice became my most powerful tool. So go figure. Like if I had listened to people... I never would have got to that, that right, point. Right, you wouldn't so be here right now. I think the, the bottom line is that most people don't have time for you. They have, see you at face value. So when people judge you, they're only judging you where you're at. They're not judging you where you might get to. So only you know the distance between where you're going to get to and where you are that day. And the main thing is just to work out your craft so that you get to where you want to go. That's it. Where did all this self-esteem come from that, I mean, to be young and be told, yeah, you're not a good singer when you want to sing. I mean, that's not, that's not easy to, you know, just shrug off. Yeah. Like, like yeah. that's even more impressive that you said, you know, fuck off. I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. Well, I just, I, you know. I didn't, I don't know, I didn't have any better ideas. <laughs> and so. You just really didn't want to work. And huh? I didn't, well, I just, and I, but the thing is, I really work at that. You know, I was like, I just really. Um, what did your parents think? 
I think they just, they, they, um, they just felt bad for me. You know what I mean? Because they were like, oh, you know, he's really trying. But, oh, yeah. And I was still working. You know, I looked after <laughs> myself. I would still um, do stuff to, to, to pay my way and still worked. But I would never gave up the kind of the idea of, of being in a band. That's all I did. And I made sure I only did jobs that I was never any particular use. You know, I worked on building sites and I painted houses. And so nothing where I could be of any value. If I was going to be of value, then someone might entice me to stay and be, here's some money. This is on like $50 a day. What was the so, worst job you ever had? Uh, probably this job I did in this place, Cricklewood. And I was like going under the floorboards with my friend Ben Rush. And we did this house and I had to go under the floorboards and cleaning out the, um, you know, the kind of that sort of, what do you call it? You know, like insulation. The insulation. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's that sort of mold like insulation too. from under the floor. And we were kids, and there's no. I mean, I'm all right. So I'm healthy. No, so I was no right. asbestos. I survived it. I survived it. I, you know, I, 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 I dealt with the asbestos. But so that was like pretty bad. There's one time I was on the beach at on Zuma Beach. I was working with my friend. And I was on a video at 5 a.m. when I first came to L.A. After my second band failed, I thought I came on this odyssey to L.A. And I was on the beach with my friend, Sean Mortensen. I was working in the art department on a video for Jake Scott. And, and it was a Kirsty McCall video, lovely Kirsty McCall. And um, we, were, we, were, we had these like um, light, um, like filters, like red filters. And we were filtering the light like this at five in the morning. He's looking at me and he's, he mouthed me, what the fuck are we doing with our lives? I was like, I don't know, but we're in LA. You know, was the boss an asshole? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, my boss was my friend. I went, yeah, I grew up with him, Jake. So he, he was fine. That was getting some good um, illegal work because I needed the money. But that was a bit of a... I did worry about my life at that point. And then I, after that, I came back to England and I began Bush. So it worked out in the end. All is well that ends well. Be, being an American and a Brit, notice I said American first. What are your thoughts on this whole Meghan and Harry thing? <laughs> I saw that. She looked, I mean, I don't know. She's just pissed everyone off, but I don't even know why. She seems great. Well, did you see the South Park? I didn't see that. You should watch it. It summarizes it pretty well. They're, well I they love keep, South Park. It's going on front of TV stations saying, we just want our privacy. It's like, the, why in the <laughs> fuck are you on TV, you idiot? <laughs> Well, there is, that is, a, for sure, it does, uh, yes, that does make sense. And I do think that. But having watched them and watched them, um, it just, you know, like, you feel bad for him. Like, he's playing out so much of his pain mm -hmm. publicly. That I don't oh, get. Oh, it's got to be awful. That yeah. I don't get because he's gone through so much. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, he feels better to share it all. And I don't understand that. But having sort of... Been a, you know, been English, they switched it on and I was like, have, have a look. And I like how much she pisses off Piers Morgan. <laughs> he's so annoyed at her. He's the worst. He's, he's, he so, the worst. he's so annoyed at her. And, um, uh, you know, hopefully they get their pr privacy that they've made a documentary about. <laughs> yeah. The, get it. The, the, we, the, we want a privacy tour. I love it. <laughs> we I love it. <laughs> but she seems great. She seems sweet. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, does she annoy you? Not, not really. It, what annoys me is that, I mean, they're not doing themselves favors, but like we, we're an American. We don't care about monarchy. You know, it's like, stop <laughs> going on camera if you want your privacy. 
But <laughs> Americans need to stop just shit talking them nonstop. Just ignore them. Right. You know? So I, I don't know. It is what it is to me. But some people do get, I think, hilariously annoyed with them to the point where I'll laugh at the people for being so annoyed instead of laughing at them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I my, I didn't realize, but my mum's really like annoyed about it all, and like I mentioned it to her, and she's she's off. I like I told the phone. It's like it, it's just, <laughs> I don't get it. You know what I mean? People get really up, upset about it. I mean, it's funny in England if you're English, like the royal family, um, it's an incredible tourism thing. It's the the the, the, I, the kind of something about the pomp and ceremony, and yet at the same time, it's. Uh, it's sort of hilarious and doesn't make sense. And at the same time, it's kind of like, it just, it is England, you know? Yeah, it's tradition. It is sure. England. And we, lo- we do love that. Hundreds and hundreds we, and hundreds of years. We do love that. They, yeah. It's, it's funny. We were told before this interview that you have one of the best ears in rock music too. Who are some bands that we should be listening to? That nobody would know. Not, they, oh, not, not nobody. They, nobody would but, know, but yeah. who, who are some groups out there that you're really into right now? Well, I do. I said that band, Bad Omens. Um, yeah, you shouted they're, them. Out. They're, they're a really, really impressive band. Um, Where are they from? I don't know. Talk about Silverstones. Or Silverstones. Silver yeah, Silverstone pickups. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I've actually never met them, but I really love them. I think they're an amazing band. And when I was doing the promo for this show, I remember going, and join us, Q101, for the Soul Shed inaugural night with our great friends, Silver Sun Pickups. I was like, I don't even know them whatsoever, but they're a great band, so I'm happy to see them. <laughs> but uh, So I don't know. Yeah, that's really... Um, there's a few people, a few people, but I, I like that band Wet Leg. They're kind of they're pretty fucking impressive awesome. and quirky and cool and got that sort of uh, 4AD kind of breeders-ish thing going on and just clever and cool. They just won a Grammy. As they deserve. They just won a Grammy, yeah. I once did um, a masterclass at the Grammy school and I, I went in there. It was a while ago now and I went in there and I was like, listen, um, I just, you know, really well attended. I was like, if anyone came here to understand how to win a Grammy, this is the wrong class because I got no fucking idea. I've only had like a couple of successful songs, but I can't get a Grammy. No, I love that. That's great. So the Grammy's not big on rock. Yeah, there's definitely a blind spot with rock music. Does that piss you off? That like that pisses me off, and I'm not even, I'm not even well, in the industry like you are. It's just, it's just. Like why? Like obviously, I I, we all I always feel answer, like we live on the outside of stuff. We live on the outside of things, and I've never felt. I felt part of the people, but never felt part of the um, sort of. I don't know. I feel more part. I've always felt more part of the people, in a way, and so I never expected to be. Um, there's loads of bands that I love that haven't don't have grammys so i was thinking of it like that seeing how like bastardized pop music is though i mean you would never want that not life but you would never want to be in that position would you where 35 grammys and a private jet fuck it i'll take it (laughs) yeah you would sell sell out anything you would sell out 
Hell yeah. No, no, I don't. <laughs> so what? There's no such thing as selling out anymore. You just do what you can. That, that's true. Monetize your life. What's, what's the difference? <laughs> yeah. The, but I mean. When we came up, there's a whole thing about selling out. You couldn't. It was like really kind of like being low, low, low key, not selling out. No, now that's all over with. It's like, you know, the more you can show, uh, push your life in other people's face, the better. Yeah, that's got to be weird. Well, it's just how it is, but we don't I don't I don't have the jet to to flash, else I might. Um last question I got before we wrap up. Did you uh become a American citizen just so you could tell American jokes? Um, <laughs> and can you give us your best Yankee like accent impersonation just ripping on us or something? <laughs> um well, first off, when I began to have kids, I thought it was really weird to just have a green card or not not be, you know what I mean? It was like weird to just be uh, not the same country as my kids, not the same. So what I did is, um, what I did is uh, um, naturalized. And it was funny because um, the guy said, uh, they, they said, do you want to have a private ceremony downtown in a judge's chambers or do you want to go to Del Mar racetrack where we just played we just done a show there but I was going to go and stand there with all the kind of you know it's, it's so beautiful it's there a, yeah it, it is it, it's, it's, you know but it's an incredible experience when you go with everyone who's naturalized because you imagine that it's me and everyone else's American dream it comes true sure. right whatever whoever you are um, but I opted for the the judge's chambers because it was it was sooner and uh, it was it was intense because he, you have to actually last minute. You have to denounce your country. And I was like, I was like, whoa! No one, you know, I was like, no one told me that. Are you here of your own volition? Anyone put you up to this? I was like, damn! It was a judge. You know what I mean? You can't. I mean, I told you about my whole thing with authority. Yeah. You know? so yeah, I was already yeah. nervous. I was like, am I in trouble? You know what's going on? And um, and uh, so I was like, okay. <laughs> but it turns out what's beautiful is that England. You can't leave England. It's a it's it's a girlfriend that won't leave you. <laughs> it, you can't. So you can. So you, it's half half now. It's perfect. So it's perfect. Just, so you can denounce them and they still they yeah still they, accept they, you. Yeah they 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 just think you're going through a phase. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. a phase. It's like it's like that Seinfeld episode. <laughs> just, you can't break up. There. <laughs> it's just a phase. <laughs> so. Exactly. Well, this was fucking awesome, man. Oh, you man. are. You're a legend. As Thank advertised. You. Thank you so yeah, much for taking you. the time. Oh, Thank you, thank you. Enjoy I can't wait to see the show tonight. Uh, uh, what time are you guys hitting the stage? Nine. Nice. What, do you still get nervous at all? I got nervous the other day when Amy was singing with us at the Ryman. She ruined the whole night for me. It was the best night of my life, but the day I was tortured. Um, so I get nervous when I'm singing, when I sang at like Chester Bennington's memorial. Or I sang with David Bowie when he died. I sang with his band, so that when I sing for other people in those situations, I wanted. To, I'm like a mess. Yeah, you know a lot I mean? of pressure. Yeah, that's yeah. A, yeah, yeah. When I sing for my with us, I, I don't feel I don't feel that, that at all. Um, but but uh, so yeah, I don't feel so nervous now. But I just you know I I always think that you play every show like it's your last. You know, that's mm -hmm. it. There's no other way to play it. So I just gonna kind of just gotta work out all the kinks and try and get like nice and strong. Well, we're gonna go let you do that now, huh? <laughs> all right. Awesome. Thanks, thanks yeah, again. Appreciate you, man. All right. Thanks, thank you. Gavin. All right. So that was Dave and Dante's conversation with Gavin Rossi from Bush. Go see them on tour. Listen to the new album. Stream the old stuff. Great band. Great guy. Um, real quick, Dave wanted me to read a little message on here. 
Uh, he gave me his on and off the list. One of the reasons Dave is not here today. Here you go. Dave's on the list is having people build shit for you. And his off the list is having to build shit for yourself. I don't know. Dave, Dave's uh, house was under construction or something today. Uh, so Dave will be <laughs> here. Uh, that's the most Dave on the list, off the list I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, Johnny, what's on your list this week? On my list, I was talking before we started, this guy, uh, Rick Beato, he's like a music educator, commentator, does a bunch of cool interviews. And I have kind of always known about him a little bit, but he just did an interview with Keith Jarrett, who is my favorite piano player. He's a jazz dude of all time who just had a stroke. So it's the first interview he's done in a long time. It's the first time he's playing piano since 2017. He's playing with one hand and he's better than everyone with one hand. And uh, it's kind of a sad interview to see, just see a legend kind of slip away from that, but also inspiring to see that he's still there. He just like, he's in front of his piano playing, like doing whatever he can because he loves it so much. So that for me was a, a really cool, inspiring thing to see. Hell yeah. I usually would bitch you about like uh, shouting at other podcasts, but that's good enough. No, for it's me, not, I don't think it's a podcast even. It's, he's it's just, just an got, interview he, series. Yeah. He's got like a YouTube channel, Rick. I think I'm, I'm saying it right. Beato, like beat. Oh, B A. B-E-A-T-O. Hell yeah. Everybody go check that out. What what would I know the guy, the piano player from? Is he just himself or did, was he like a studio musician? He's kind of just himself, but he played with everyone. Like he played with Miles Davis, like all those early dudes he started out. But he just kind of became his own thing. He's like, if you look up best jazz piano player, you're going to see him in every list. Like everyone kind of just acknowledges he's the fucking man. Hell yeah. Well, shout out to him, dude. Uh, Kenny, who's on your list? Uh, it's funny you were talking about sampling earlier because there's this video going around the internet of Damon Alvarn. Wasn't it just built into the little it's like a piano? Built one of those, like you buy like the little toy keyboards and there's like the rock button or the, the fossil yeah. <laughs> button, right? Like all those ones. And it's just the rock one. And it's just dun, 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 dun. And then he hits a button and does the fill. Da, 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 boom. And I was blew my mind. Some people were like, but that sounds like, but that's cheap or whatever. I'm like, that's how genius he is. He goes, that's a fucking hit right there. Finally, someone got me out of my cave. You're like, oh my God, it's so good. By the way, that new Gorillaz album is good. Cracker Island. Really really good, dude. I I would love to have a conversation with him. Yeah, yeah, me too, because he'll actually talk shit about people. 100%. Uh, <laughs> uh, my on the list this week is Lil Wayne. Uh, Wayne just dropped a new song uh, with a DMX sample, and Wayne's still rapping his ass off. At w- He's not even that old. Can we just acknowledge that first? Wayne's not that old. No, he's not. Kenny, he, he was a baby when he fucking first started. Kenny, how have old, you not heard this How old is yet? he? I think he's probably like 35. I'm serious. Wayne, Wayne is not even 40 yet, but Wayne's been in the industry. Like, back that ass up. He was like 16. Yeah, he was born in 82. So what is he? He's 41. 40, 41. Yeah. yeah, still. Like, that's still yeah. kind of shocking to me because he's been ubiquitous throughout my entire life. Yeah. Uh, but still wrapping his ass off. Swiss Beats with the DMX sample. Disgusting. Absolutely great. Uh, I just want Wayne on the podcast. I'm more than Damon Albert. I want to talk to Wayne. I want to talk to Wayne to ask him how little he knows about things. Like so much of the, the content that I see about Wayne is people asking him being like, do you like this rapper? And he's like, I don't listen to anybody's music, but my own stop asking me questions about other people. 
Yeah, he's there's like, a sick video that's going around the internet of Wayne at a skate park, and it's like he's getting so much better. He like dropped in on a twelve foot vert, and then like ollied over like a big pyramid thing. And you're like, oh shit, okay, he's learning. I love Wayne because he's in his own universe at all times. He's like, oh, I like skateboarding. I like cheetah print clothes, and I like my own music, and that's it. He doesn't care about anything else. I just want to tell him to his face something that he's probably already heard and already knows, but. Yo, Ice Cube said you're the best rapper to ever do it, man. I was like, that's you. That's insane. I think I've just seen so many play. clips lately of like legendary rappers getting asked that question. He's always like number one or two. Yeah. When they when they throw it out there, you know. He is, dude. Wayne. Oh, God, I love Wayne. Uh, Johnny, who's off your list? Uh, Dave from uh, <laughs> from this podcast. Do you yes. know him? For, of the White Sox variety. For, yeah, for having you read his on the guest. Like, <laughs> off my list is people not hiring, just asking someone else to read their on the list, off the list. Oh, I'm going to invoice Dave for making me read his shit on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Kenny, who's off your list? Uh, kind of the same. I, you could say Dave. Um, uh, people <laughs> is just the best that I had. Uh, what is it? What people with what opinions, it? and I put in parentheses me because obviously I have opinions and, and a lot of horrible ones. But fucking making music is so hard sometimes when you're working with a band, you're like, I'm promising you this is better than what than your right, <laughs> and they have this opinion of their own music. It's so fucking stupid. Um, it's really annoying. So, yeah. Dude, Kenny, that's one step away from being a label head. Yes, <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, but with a label head, you still kind of have to care, and I just don't want to care at all. I dude, any any band that's working with Kenny, trust Kenny's opinion because Kenny's right. Ninety nine point. He's gonna make you do things that you don't want to do. He's like well, I wasn't gonna make you do <laughs> things that you didn't want to do. What the fuck am I doing here? Just if you yeah. want what you want to do, do it. Go do it. You know. Kenny's yeah. like an abusive dad. Like he's gonna make you no, do things. I you think don't I've learned. I think I've hit the point where I've been doing production long enough that I'm very transparent with people because I don't have time. Or like, oh yeah, maybe that'll work. Maybe we could do that in the bridge. You're just like, I think we could. You know, like I'm, just, I'm overbeat. Oh man, uh, my off the list is myself, because uh, I just, <laughs> I don't like things sometimes that I should like. And the new episode of The Last of Us, that came out last uh, on Sunday, yeah, it's great. Cool. But I, I, le- I left watching it being like, did that kind of suck? It's a little slow, but it's an important part of the storyline. Yes, Don't give I it away because I haven't caught up on it. But I've also, I think we talked about this. I've been hearing that it's jumped the shark. Like it's gone <laughs> after the first or second episode. I just don't want to admit that it's maybe not that good. Maybe I'm just hating for no reason. Like, I mean, even with so much music we talk about where I'm like, it's probably good. I'm just being a dick. Like maybe no, I'm just a dick. No, 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 no. You're allowed <laughs> to not like things. Don't be fucking Dante. You're oh, that's true. <laughs> Everything is great. I'll have- tell you what show I've been enjoying is uh, Mayor of Kingstown. Have you great seen that? I heard it's great. It's so horrifically violent. It's insane. I mean, it's about prison and like all the shit you'd expect, but it's just like, it's pretty brutal. But it's re- I think it's really well done. Isn't that Jeremy Renner and like Kevin Bacon or something like that? No, Jeremy Renner. Kevin Bacon's in another one that was about Boston, Boston right? crime. That was also good. He's really good in that. Is Boston really that crime-ridden? Because it seems like every other year there's like a Boston crime movie. I think it went through its periods. I don't know what it's like now. You why doesn't I mean? Why doesn't Boston contribute anything artistically to this country? Like, <laughs> other than Aerosmith, has there ever been a good band or a good artist to come out of Boston? I'm, I'm, I'm like, asking a dead serious I'm, question. 
I'm gonna go with definitely yes, dude. Boston's is like a legit city. But who? The guy from fucking Philly. Yeah. Oh, okay. You really want me to go on a list of all the artistic? I'll yeah. tell you what. I'll tell you what. If I was gonna get attacked by one fandom, I think I would take my chances with Philly versus Boston. You're as wrong, far as dude. Ba- as far as badasses, come on. Boston's more badass than Philly. I'm just asking a serious question. Can you name me another artist right, from Boston? Up. Go ahead. Please do. I would like to know. I the don't answer. know. I'm just. I'm just saying. I feel like there must be. Like you're Mark throwing Wahlberg. out a fucking major city. What are you asking? What are you saying, Mark Kenny? Wahlberg. He's from Boston. Yes. Uh, I guess the good vibrations would be the answer to that. I was new kids on the block. Like who else we got here? This is me being ignorant. I just don't know. Bruce Springsteen. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Says it right here. Well, he's no. from New Jersey. <laughs> Freehold, New Jersey. Cars are from Boston. The Lemonheads. Extreme. Aerosmith is from Boston. I said Aaron. Besides Aerosmith. Pixies. Who? Let's see. Pixies. Mighty Mighty Boston's. They're all from Boston? Yeah. That's what it says. Is is the band Boston from Boston? Yes, they are from Boston. Okay, then I stand corrected. I like Boston a lot. Edition. <laughs> Power Man 5000. James Taylor, Pixies, Donna Summer, Oddsmack, New wow. Kids on the Block. Okay, we're yeah, well, losing that's a, it. That's a Wahlberg. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a Wahlberg. Interesting. I you said uh, Dropkick Murphys already, right? Okay, I didn't. All right, maybe I'm wrong, but I just off the top of my head, like there's a lot of cities that I can list bands that they're from. If you want to play this game, here's the game that I will play. Are there any good musicians from Canada? And there's one. Drake. No. Justin Bieber? No. The Weeknd? No. Oh, yeah. He's okay. He's fine. He's decent. Are you talking about bands? Arkells, our friends? M- right. Musicians. Some 41. Yeah. <laughs> keep keep going. I'm waiting. Metric. Nickelback. Nickelback for sure. Arcade the Tragically Fire. Hip. Arcade Fire for sure. For me, it's, for me, it's Joe. I'm talking about like, as in like in the status of the Beatles. Celine Dion? Come calling. Oh, come oh, oh, oh. I got it. Neil Young? Neil Young. I was gonna say Neil yeah. Young. No, I don't rate him, dude. Joni Mitchell. That's that for me. That's who it is. Like she's a, a goat. I mean, I'm talking top, 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 top tier. And I feel like Joni Mitchell's the only one I can put in there. I know people will put Neil Young in there. I just don't agree. Here's a question: Eppin Wolf isn't top tier. <laughs> Are there more great musicians from England or America? That's a good per question. Ca- you got to do per capita. That would be tough. I would just say America because it spans such a broader range of genres. Yeah. I, also, You're most right. of Kenny most Wayne, of that's right. Most of what England is most known for is taking from America. You know what I'm saying? In a certain perspective, because the Rolling Stones and the Beatles all came up on American music. They all came up on Little Richard and Muddy Waters and shit like that. So you're borrowing yeah, yeah, no, from you, us. Yeah you, you, yeah, you can't separate that. And then also, like Kenny's point, there's no jazz musicians that yeah. you can look at in England. Or not, maybe not no, but like, you know what I mean? We got 40 years of hip hop on them before they even became. Well, yeah. So even, even the best stuff from England is literally recycled American music. Yeah. That is answer my own question. I, Suck on I'm that, a, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm an English citizen, and I'll have to agree with you. We're, th- <laughs> we're three and over, England. Revolutionary <laughs> War, War of 1812, and this conversation right here. That's if you believe that England ever let go, and they didn't just install puppet government underneath everything, and the Queen's still actually running everything. Queen ain't running <laughs> anything, bro. <laughs> she is, dude. Queen's not dead. You haven't heard that? What, is she on an <laughs> island with Elvis and Tupac? 
<laughs> oh god all right well that's the end of this episode uh thank you to gavin rossdale who is english <laughs> uh thank you to david and dante for showing up and doing their jobs uh boys anything for me no no have a good night con thanks man i appreciate it. it's my wife's birthday i'm taking her out to dinner so happy birthday dana love you very much Kenny and Johnny, I, I hate you guys with a fiery passion. Feelings mutual. I hate you with all the right. hatreds. Dana, Yo, if you're listening, there's it's not too late to leave. Yeah, yeah. Cold not too late to leave. <laughs> I hate you guys, dude. Listen to the song I sent you, Kenny. Don't tell me what to do, but also- it's a cra- it's a crappy demo, but it oh, is yeah. something. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> all right, we're out of here. Fuck you guys. We love you. <laughs>